Seeking the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and reading for our text verse 42. In fact, the latter part of verse 42, we'll read it all and then just highlight the last part of it. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Especially those last words, and behold, a greater then Solomon is here. The Holy Spirit, through the scriptures of truth, has been pleased to, on several occasions, use Solomon's greatness and the greatness of his kingdom as a comparison. We have our Lord in uh, Matthew 6 uh, comparing the... uh, lilies of the field with Solomon and in this way in verse 28 and why take ye thought for raiment consider the lilies of the field how they grow they toil not neither do they spin and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these And so the Lord uses Solomon in his greatness and in his glory uh, to remind us that the grass of the field, the lilies of the field, God has made them and fashioned them in a way that there is no toil. The Lord performs it and does it and gives a glory in his creation that was greater than Solomon. We have another comparison between Solomon's temple that was so wonderful, was magnificent, and the glory of all lands. And then when the second temple was built, after the first had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and then after the 70 years in Babylon, they were brought back to their own land. And when the foundation was laid, there were some that were rejoicing And there were some that were mourning and it couldn't be discerned of the mourning and the rejoicing, the two mingling together, because those who had seen that former temple in all its glory realised that this latter building was not going to be as magnificent at all. And yet Haggai the prophet was brought to assure them that the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former and the glory of it was that the son of man the son of god the lord jesus christ the promised seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head would walk in that temple really upon that foundation that was laid and here we have then our lord in the temple our lord coming our lord uh, teaching the people and being with them and uh, setting before us here another 
comparison, but very, very clearly uh, pointing unto himself. And it's not just the uh, Queen of the South that is a comparison here, uh, or Solomon, but even uh, the Ninevites and Jonah is mentioned. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here. And so we have again a comparison with what the Jews would have well known how great Solomon was. And to think that here is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son, and he is saying, and they would have understood very well what he meant, that he was greater than Solomon. Anyone that was but a mere man making that statement, they'd say how Arrogant, what a presumption to call yourself in your lowly condition that you are to be greater than Solomon. But our Lord states it so very clearly. Here is one, here is himself that is greater than Solomon. Now, those that were round about him and those that were hearing him speaking, they would have said, He is here. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Here, they were to look round. Who is there to see? Here is the Lord. He is here. But that word applies as much to us today. May we always remember that. When our Lord ascended into heaven, he promised and he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he is with his church through his spirit and grace. He has promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that there am I in the midst. And so we are to understand and realize as well, when our Lord says a greater than Solomon is here, we we, we don't just look at where our Lord was there, But here, and the blessed truth of the Saviour who came, who stood upon the earth, a real man and real God in one person, and that how that he then offered himself up, a sacrifice, a ransom, the true paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, Willingly offered, no man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself, I power to lay it down, I power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And he laid down his life and yielded up the ghost in full strength. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And that sacrifice accepted the empty tomb after three days. He hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. We do not worship a dead Christ. We do not worship a saviour that is not here. 
He is here. He is alive. He lives to carry on his people's cause above. And he is with his people here below. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. The Lord said, if ye have seen me, ye have seen my Father also. None could be greater than God himself. And this is what our Lord is saying here, that he truly is God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Lamb of God. And he is here. A greater than Solomon. Well, we have a comparison here. And... I wanted, with the Lord's help this evening, to look at how this is so. There's a comparison here, and we can draw from it those ways in which our Lord Jesus Christ is greater than Solomon. Very often we do need things to compare one with another, to give some idea of the greatness and majesty of God and in this condition, whereas Solomon is but a man, but a sinner, but one that also needed redeeming and saving. And here is the Saviour, the Saviour of sinners, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And to compare one against another, then we can see something of the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. No... We need faith to view him and to see his greatness. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the Lord highlights here of his own people, his own generation. And they weren't taking any heed to his teaching, to his warnings, to all that he had to say. And what can we say today? Is it not the same for the majority of people who have no need of Christ? They do not need, do not feel their need of his word, do not seek his word, do not read his word, have no desire after him, do not see his greatness at all. Really is one of the marks of the privileges and blessings of a child of God when we are brought to see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I want to look at three points. Firstly, greater than Solomon regarding his kingdom. Solomon's kingdom, our Lord's kingdom. And then secondly, his wisdom. Solomon's wisdom, our Lord's wisdom. And thirdly, his people, Solomon's people, the Lord's people, the difference, the greatness, the greater than Solomon. So firstly, regarding his kingdom. Solomon's kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, Judah and Israel, the 12 tribes all together. You would remember that in David's day, they were together. Over the first seven years, David was king just over Judah. And then during the 40 years of Solomon's reign, Solomon was over the 12 tribes. But as soon as Solomon died, then 
his kingdom was divided. The ten tribes were given to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and Judah and Benjamin, they were given to Rehoboam. So in one sense, the kingdom of Solomon was only a kingdom of a very short duration. And though we read of how magnificent and wonderful it was, and the queen of Sheba, having heard of it and heard of his wisdom, she comes, she sees everything concerning it, and it was more than the reports that she had heard. Yet it was a relatively short time. The king was many years in building the houses, both of the Lord's house and his own house. And really when both of those were built, they only enjoyed them for some 20 years or so, with both together. With Solomon's kingdom, magnificent as it was, it was actually a burden upon the people, a burden of taxation. And we think of when Rehoboam took the uh, kingdom from his father, the very first thing that the people wanted as coming under Jeroboam was that the burden of that taxation was to be reduced. It came as a, as a cost, all of that grandeur and all of that wonder and really any natural kingdom, our own, uh, our own kingdom as it were in, in, in Great Britain, uh, is talks of reducing as it were the royal family and that, and one reason is because of the cost of it, all of the cost of the ceremony and things like that. It's got to be paid for by someone. Where Solomon's day, it was, and the people really felt that. And it was the advice of the old men to actually reduce that burden. Well, most things had been built anyway, and they could have done that. But the Lord had overruled it, that what he had said to Solomon, because Solomon had walked after strange women and after their gods and followed gods that were not of the true God of Israel, that he would separate and take that kingdom from him, or ten tribes from him. So it was ordered of the Lord, but Rehoboam took the advice of the young men and really said that he would make their burden much higher than what it was, and the people then rebelled against him. Interesting, isn't it? Even uh, with events recently in our nation, how much has been revolving on taxation, on a burden of a people, and how that reflects on those that are in authority over us. But what a difference with the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. With our Lord, the debt that his people owed, he paid. And his message to his people is to come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And to come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's a very different kingdom. Our Lord, not a hard taskmaster, not laying burdens on men, in fact, that's what he reproved the scribes and the Pharisees for. 
that they lay burdens on men that were grievous to be borne and that they did not release them in any way. But the Lord would have it different so. He came to release his people from the burden of sin, from the sentence of death, to set them free. When he said to those that believed in him in John 8, he said, If ye continue in my word, then shall ye be my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And there were some that were hearing him, they said, But we were not in bondage to any man. We be Abraham's seed. Little realizing that they were paying taxes to the Romans at that time, and that they had been under Babylon, and many times had to be under tribute to other nations for their sin. And yet they said that. They did not understand the bondage that they were under to sin. We are, all of us, slaves to sin and to Satan, obeying. And the Apostle Paul says, whom, whom ye obey, ye are servants to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of righteousness unto life. And so the kingdom of our Lord, so much different than of Solomon's, instead of a, a burden, it is that which does release the burdens, set the burdens free. And the glory of our Lord's kingdom is not that external glory. It's not seen outwardly. The Lord says the kingdom of God cometh not by observation, it is within you. It is not outward. And again with the day in which Christ was, he said, of the scribes and Pharisees, they were standing at the corners of the streets and for a pretense made long prayers. They went about in the marketplaces with long robes and appeared unto men to be righteous and to be religious and to be upright. And the Lord said, that's just all outwardly. It is the heart, it is the hidden man of the heart. Not that it doesn't matter how we dress and how we behave and how we act, but God looks at the heart and the work that is gone on by God's grace is in the heart, not outward. Our Lord told of the Pharisee and the publican in the temple, the Pharisee speaking of all his good works and everything that he had done, whereas the publican could only beat upon his breast, God be merciful to me a sinner. But the Lord said, that man, went down to his house justified rather than the other, free from guilt, free from condemnation, because he had sought mercy. And mercy is not earned, it's not deserved, it's not merited, it's completely free. And it is the kingdom of our Lord, is a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom where instead of giving us what we deserve for our sins, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, was what was said to our first parents, but they died spiritually, they didn't die physically straight away, but God immediately gave the promise of our Lord here, greater than Solomon, 
and it is in the expectation of his coming, of his kingdom, that man was allowed to continue. Man continues. And that kingdom then of our Lord is a kingdom that does not have the burdens, does not have the outward show and grandeur why the people of God are as a remnant in the earth, scattered here and there in the earth. They're likened to salt. If the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? Well, you get grains of salt and scatter them around there. Hardly see them, hardly notice. Our Lord was despised and rejected of men, and so will God's people be a remnant, hardly known by the world at all. The Lord said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. But the Lord knows them, and the kingdom of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Solomon's kingdom was a temporal kingdom. We mentioned 40 years maximum, and really in his glory only 20, so soon arisen and so soon going away. But our Lord's kingdom eternal. The Lord speaks of it as a kingdom that shall never pass away in a glory that shall be in the heavens for eternity. How different than that temporal kingdom of Solomon. And so there are many uh, different ways in which we may really see the difference in the kingdom. Our Lord says a greater than Solomon is here, is greater than Solomon in respect of his kingdom. We think of the beautiful words of the dying thief, the converted thief upon the cross. You know, we read it once that both cast the same in his teeth, both reviled him, but then there was a change in one. And his words to his fellow was, we indeed justly, but this man, hath done nothing amiss. And he turns to our Lord and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord's answer to him was, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, absent from the body, present with the Lord, immediately with the Lord in heaven, our Lord's body laid in the tomb, the thief's body laid in the grave, no doubt, but the spirit, the soul in heaven with God instantly. Apostle Paul, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that dear man, he saw by faith that the man hanging beside him in agonies with his back scourged and nailed to the tree, that was the Son of God. That was a king over his, over his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Written in Hebrew, Greek, Latin. To all of those that passed by saw it. But we read of this dear man who saw it 
You heard him who's given faith to believe. Here was a king, though dying, yet eternal. And that which he was doing there at the cross was dying for his people, laying down his life for his sheep and taking it again, redeeming them with the precious blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And there at Calvary, that precious blood of the Lamb of God was shed. I want to look then secondly at his wisdom. The greater than Solomon is here, the wisdom. Now it's interesting that with the Queen of Sheba, when she comes, she came to prove him with hard questions and we're told that Solomon told her all her questions. But we're not told one question that she asked. And yet with our Lord, we read there very specific questions that were asked him, really, not with a desire to learn or to worship him, but to trip him up and to undermine him, to prove that he was not who he said he was. And they fell down miserably. The Lord Jesus Christ answered all their questions. And we read how he answered their questions and how he perceived what they were trying to do with him. I don't think anyone could read that portion we read in Matthew and not marvel and wonder at the answers that the Lord gave to them. Simple answers regarding the uh, taxation, regarding giving tribute to Caesar. What a simple answer. And we think of our coins. Well, they're going to be changing soon, aren't they, with the king uh, on it instead of the queen. But what an answer. Look at that. Whose is it? Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he reproved them for tempting him and accused them of being hypocrites. And when the Lord says that, we know they were hypocrites. They were saying what they were not doing themselves. And then we have those that came asking regarding the resurrection. The Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. And probably with them, it, they felt it was a watertight argument. The Lord couldn't answer this. And so they proposed the situation from the law of Israel that so that a man's inheritance stayed intact, that he, if he did not have a child through marriage, then his brother would marry him keep it in that tribe until he had a son. And they said then that there was seven brethren and they all had that one woman to wife. And so they thought this was a, a watertight argument. There could not be a resurrection because they thought that there was to be marrying and given in marriage in the resurrection. But our Lord said to them that they erred. And it's a good thing for us to remember, to take on board why the Lord said they made a mistake in this regard. And it was because they did not know the scriptures. That was the first part. 
Do we know the scriptures? Do we read them? Do we have them in our mind? Do we meditate? Do we know them off by heart? And the other reason was that they did not know the power of God. The power to raise the dead, the power to raise the dust of going back to Abel and to Adam and to all of those who have died at the last great day, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the air. And so those two things we need to really search our hearts as to do we know the scriptures? Do we know the power of God? And then the Lord uh, said regarding the resurrection itself, the truth of that, and he speaks of what the Lord said to Moses at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead but of the living. God was alive and so was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And of course we have later on the Mount of Transfiguration when there was Moses and Elias and our Lord. The apostles obviously recognised who they were representing the law and the prophets and the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, the cloud lifted up. They saw no man but Jesus only, Jesus only. A greater than Solomon is here. And so with this question that the Lord answered, hard questions, that's what the Queen of Sheba came with, hard questions. And the Lord answered, those hard questions, and we're told what those questions were that were brought to him. And then the question as to the law, and our Lord summarises the law in the two tables of the law. The table concerning God, towards God, and secondly our duty towards man. Those two tables. And the Lord says, on these two commandments hang all the law, and the prophets. And then the Lord asked them a question. A question that they couldn't answer. A question that really they should have been able to answer. And again it's a blessed thing if we are able to answer it. Considering the word that we have as our text are greater than Solomon. Solomon known in eternity by God that he would be brought into this world, but his existence began by his birth. Eternal his soul was. But all the time that is spoken of here is that our Lord Jesus Christ was before David, though he was to be David's son. And they couldn't understand that. If ever there was a text, and pointing of course to uh, Psalm 110 and verse 1. If ever there was a text that so proved that Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal God and the pre-existence with the Father before he came to this world, it is that in Psalm 110 and that which is here and that which they could not answer. 
They accused our Lord of being a man that had made himself God. But truly he is God and made himself man, humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. This is he. And so with these hard questions regarding his wisdom, the Queen of Sheba, she came to Solomon. And yes, we're told that he answered these questions, but not what they were at all. But our Lord, it is highlighted how he answered those questions, what he said. And in answering them, set forth these precious truths of the law of God, the resurrection of the dead, and of the eternal existence of himself, the Son of God. So the wisdom, where did Solomon get his wisdom from? He got it from the Lord. He is wisdom. Remember years ago, speaking to one of our counsellors in the town, and it was regarding actually having a, a Sunday market. And uh, thankfully, after making representation to them, they decided not to have it at that time. But I spoke to him about it, and he said regarding those council meetings, he said, we really need the wisdom of Solomon. And I said to him, well, you know where Solomon got his wisdom from. And I gave him the uh, copies of all of Solomon's writings and pointed him to the Lord, pointed him to where Solomon was given that wisdom as he asked it from the Lord. And it would be a wonderful thing if each of us were mindful, if we've got wisdom at all, even in natural things. There are many times that in my work as a design engineer that I've had to... Cry unto the Lord, Lord, how shall I design this? How shall I make it? How shall I do this? And that wisdom we must get from the Lord. A greater than Solomon, a greater wisdom. And we got those things this evening. And we feel so lacking wisdom, lacking understanding. We feel like Solomon, he felt like a little child who is not up to the great things that were before him in the kingdom. And so that's what he asked of the Lord. And the Lord gave him more than that. But we need to be reminded, though Solomon has been dead many, many years, our Lord still lives and still gives to his people wisdom and still is with them and still lives to answer their hard questions. And if he answered the questions of those that came to him seeking to trip him up, and to entangle him in his thought, how much more would he answer the questions of those who sincerely come and beg of the Lord to show them the way they should go, what they should do. What an encouragement for us to ask and seek that wisdom which is from above, not just for temporal things, but for eternal things. For our souls, remember the questions here that were asked. You might say, well, the, the tribute money was a practical, was a temporal thing. 
But when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to the eternal Son of God, our vital points of doctrine, of faith, and may we be established in the faith and in the truth that is in Jesus. But then we have thirdly, regarding his people. His people. Solomon had a people, many people, many servants. They would have been paid servants to do what he required them to do. You get a little glimpse of when the people required a king and the Lord gave them Saul and the Lord warned them through Samuel that that king, he would take the best of their sons and of their daughters to be his servants and to work for him. And he warned them of what would happen, that that king, in one sense, would sap from them all their best. But what a difference with the people of the Lord, the servants of the Lord. Now the Lord said, The servant knoweth not what his master doeth, but I have called ye friends. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Solomon just paid for his servants, but our Lord Jesus Christ redeemed his. Solomon took the best, as it were, of the sons and daughters. Our Lord took rebels, and he took those under the sentence of death and those with a huge debt upon them, and he paid that debt, and he took them, and he not only redeemed them and paid their debt, but clothed them with his righteousness and made them to be what he'd have them to be for his bride and not just to be a servant, but to be partners with him in his throne and to be with him. You think of Mephibosheth lame in both his feet and yet he sat at the king's table a beautiful time what the Lord does to his people is because of the covenant that Mephibosheth was so blessed in that way. And it is because of the covenant that God's people are blessed in Christ and what he does for them. He's loved them with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness hath he drawn them. But he's made them to be what he'd have them to be at great cost to himself. So very stark difference between Solomon's kingdom and the kingdom of our Lord. Each one of God's people has been redeemed, has been personally loved, has been personally chosen, has been made to be what they are at great cost to our Lord and with a desire that they actually be with him. Another type we have in Boaz and Ruth. Now Ruth was taken from Moab, a country that was even banned from appearing to the tenth generation in the courts of the Lord. And yet she is brought to be 
in Israel and united by marriage to Boaz, taken as a widow that has nothing to offer, no substance at all. You know, with David, he was so concerned about being the king's son-in-law because he couldn't provide a dowry. He says, I'm a, I'm a poor man. I can't pay my way to be related to the king. But the people of God, they can never pay their way to be related to the king. The Lord takes them, bankrupts, and those that have nothing, and that he makes them uh, to be a people, a holy people, a people that shall be with him on his throne. There are people that are kept by him, preserved by our Lord Jesus Christ. And all their righteousness is of Christ. Solomon couldn't impart anything of his grandeur, glory, wisdom, greatness to his people. Yes, he could teach them wisdom the same as we can teach one another. But the wisdom of God especially, and Paul points this out to those in Corinthians, that God through wisdom has made it that man he cannot find out God. He can know natural things, but spiritual things he cannot. And unless God opens their eyes, unless Lord God blesses the ministry of the word, it has pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so there is a difference, a greater regarding the kingdom of our Lord than Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Regarding the wisdom of our Lord, behold, the greater than Solomon is here. And regarding the people of our Lord, the greater than Solomon is here. And yet when the Queen of Sheba, she came and she saw his kingdom, she heard his wisdom, she made mention of his servants and how blessed and how favoured they were. How favoured, how blessed are the people of God. She viewed it that these his servants were seeing him all the time. They were in his presence all the time. And how much more blessed are the people of God where the Lord says that he will never leave them nor forsake them and that they are chosen to see his glory and to behold his glory and to know of his kingdom, even in their own hearts. May we truly know what we have then in our text, that a greater, behold, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. May we know that precious truth of a present Jesus, a present king, and being part of his kingdom. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.